Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s, which means I am among a whole generation that essentially has the movie Wayne's World memorized. Any of you know this movie? Okay, right? Yes. It was a Saturday Night Live sketch that became a movie franchise. Well, anyway, if I were to give this sermon a title, and I rarely give sermons titles, the title of today's sermon would be The Gospel According to Wayne's World, colon, We're Not Worthy. If you don't get the reference, that's cool. Just go home and look it up on YouTube. You'll be fine, okay? Because what I want us to ponder this morning is what it means to be worthy or not. I mean, doesn't everybody want to be worthy? To feel worth? To feel valued? But there's just so many ways to determine whether we are or aren't. So many ways for us to feel less than worthy. Like we're not good enough or smart enough or whatever enough to be in someone's presence. And today what I invite us to ponder is what does it mean to be worthy or not? To be in God's presence. To be worthy or not to hear a word of grace from God. To have God come to us and and heal us or save us or lift us up. What does it mean to be worthy of God's attention? Of God's noticing? Of God's acting in our lives? The stories that we hear this morning from the Gospel of Luke talk to us a lot about worth about who is worthy, who's not worthy, and how do we figure it out. There are a couple different stories that get smashed up to, uh, next to each other, and, and I think tiptoeing through them a bit, paying attention to the details, might help us to know where we might find ourselves in the story and where God might find us in these details. The first story is Jesus has just finished speaking, that is, he just gave a really long sermon, and now it's time to do some real work for once. And so he goes out to a place called Capernaum. It's a lovely little seaside village of mixed origin, lots of different kinds of people at Capernaum. And there is there a centurion who has a slave, a a highly valued, a beloved servant in his house, and his servant is sick, desperately ill, unto death. And so Jesus enters town, And a group of people come up to him with a message. Now, the people that the centurion sent to talk to Jesus are Jewish elders, people like Jesus, people from Jesus' family, people who they could share a common means of communication. They recognize and understand each other. And so along come these Jewish elders, and they have been tasked to ask Jesus to heal this centurion's beloved servant. Now, why didn't he go himself? Well, it's all wrapped up in that word, centurion. Not a word that we use regularly, and so here's what it means. A centurion was a Roman soldier. But not just any old Roman soldier, a commander, a general, if you will, of a hundred soldiers. A hundred Roman soldiers under his command. Which means, of course, that this man is... Not only a Roman, but he is like a Roman's Roman. His job is to keep the Jewish people enslaved, under control, 
He inspires respect simply by inspiring fear. He is a man of great power and privilege, but he's not from around here. He's a visitor to these parts. He is an emissary from Rome. He's technically the very presence of the empire that oppresses God's people. A powerful man who with the wave of a wand or the pointing of a finger could command anyone to go anywhere. And so he is a man of great renown. But he is a foreigner and and a a servant of a foreign god. Really, literally, the, the man he serves is a man who calls himself God, the emperor in Rome. Which is to say that Jews, like Jesus, would not want to be seen with this centurion. They're not exactly best friends. They don't want anything to do with them. They're the very embodiment of Rome's oppression. And so the centurion who loves his slave, so he's a slave keeper, there's that. He loves this slave enough to send Jews to talk to Jesus on his behalf, hoping that they might soften him up, make it possible. So much he loves his servant as to tangle with those folks. This, by the way, is what prayer is. This is what we do when we pray, is we carry other people's concerns to God. Often, people who don't feel worthy to bring them themselves, or people who just need someone else to share their concern, to share their story, to hold that story in front of God's gracious eyes. So the centurion sends some Jewish elders. And it's funny, I I think they they show up to Jesus and they say, okay, you're never going to believe this, but there's a centurion. Now, don't jump to conclusions. He's not as bad as you think. He's actually a pretty decent guy. I mean, as Roman generals go, he's a pretty good guy. In fact, he even built our synagogue for us. Now, that, that's pretty remarkable because just last week we learned how not too long before this in the Greek Empire, Jews were not allowed to worship. They couldn't gather in places like synagogues to read their scriptures, to, to worship their God, because that would invite rebellion and empire's hate, resistance. But lo and behold, this centurion, this very powerful, very prestigious man, He actually built a house of worship for the people he's there to keep under wraps. And so the Jews go, and they say, I know what you're thinking, but trust me, he's worthy. So we're going to take a vote. How many of you agree? Is the centurion worthy of Jesus stopping by to heal his beloved servant? How many of you think he's worthy? You guys haven't spent a lot of time under oppression, have you? How many of you think not? How many of you don't know and maybe don't even care? All right? You don't have to raise your hand on that, okay? Yeah. Is he worthy or not? And if so, why? What would possibly make that guy worthy of Jesus' attention? Well, Jesus is moved by something, and so he goes with them, and he goes as he approaches the the centurion's home. But before he can get there, the centurion knows that this is inviting some trouble. 
He knows that a guy like Jesus doesn't want to be seen with someone like him. And so he sends some friends and he says, you know what, I changed my mind. You don't need to come over because I know I'm not worthy of a guest like you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy, but just say the word. You don't even have to stop by. Just speak and he'll be healed. Because I know that you're a man with power. And trust me, this is coming from a guy with a lot of power. But I know you can do this. So just please, but keep your distance. You don't want to be seen with someone like me. So what do you think? Is he right? Is he not worthy as he thinks he is? And why? Why or why not? Who gets to decide? Well, Jesus is moved by the fact that this man, who himself embodies the power of Rome, this man who has a hundred soldiers at his disposal, nevertheless acknowledges that Jesus has a kind of power he couldn't even dream of. And Jesus is moved by that, and he says, Wow, I haven't even met faithful folk like you among my own family. And then he moves on. And suddenly, the young man is healed. Somehow, apparently, he was worthy. And so Jesus moves on, and he goes to another town. And, and, and by this time, Jesus has a lot of friends. People have seen this power that, that apparently the centurion re- recognized in him. And so he brings this entourage of people, a big procession, and they go to this little town, a little Jewish town, a little place where he's going to meet more people like him, none of those nasty Roman soldiers. And as this entourage is entering the town, a, a whole procession is coming out the other way, a funeral procession. A woman has lost her son. Not just any woman, a widow. And not just any son, her only son. Now in that time and in that place, as you probably know, widows weren't worth much at all. Their only worth or value in, in the social world came from being attached to some man, like a son, an heir. Which means that not only is she burying her son, She's burying her dignity. She's burying any worth or value she could ever aspire to or dream of. As judgments go, she's worthless. She's so overcome with her grief and lowliness that she can't even see this massive crowd entering town following this person, this strange man who interrupts the funeral, walks straight up to the body and says, shh, stop crying. Young man, rise up. And he does. Why? What made Jesus stop? What made Jesus go there? What made him notice? Because on any other day, no one would have noticed this funeral. No one would have really cared. Some close family and friends, perhaps, but once the, the body is buried, no one would really remember. She would just become another one of those 
widows on the side of the road that no one ever really sees. But Jesus sees her. And Jesus restores to her her worth, her dignity, her place. Did she deserve it? Did she do anything to deserve it? Was she worthy before Jesus said so? And why? I ask because I wonder how many of you find yourselves in similar places. I wonder how many of you are or know folks who've made it, who have a a reasonable amount of power or prestige, a good job, have a good background, maybe have some authority. People look up to you. People respect you or at least fear you. And yet, deep down inside, there's something missing. Or maybe you want to be loved, not just feared. Or maybe, no matter how much you may have accomplished, it doesn't really matter when your beloved gets sick. How many of you would feel bold enough to ask for healing? How many of you would be worthy of such attention? I wonder how many of you are regarded as worthwhile or worthy by your neighbors because you've done good stuff, right? Because you're helpful or a, a servant, even of those who maybe don't deserve it or folks who are different from you, that you're a person who's gracious and kind and merciful and people look up to you because you're such a nice guy, such a great woman. Does that make you worthy of God's attention? Because you happen to string together enough good deeds, like a Boy Scout looking for a merit badge? And deep down inside, do you feel it? I've known people who have accomplished much. I know people who on the outside, everyone looks to them and says, man, they got it together. They're the kindest, most generous, most merciful. Most... They're hardworking. They've got all their skills, and they serve people all the time. They're just amazing people. And deep down inside, those people think they're worth less. Any of you know folks like that? So what do you think? Are they worth it? If that's you, are you? How many of you are the forgotten ones, the ones pushed to the side, the ones who, by virtue of circumstance, you ain't got nothing? No real worth or value that comes from anything you can or can't do. Are you worth it? Well, ultimately, the answer is no. Or at least the answer is not because of any of that. I think what Jesus is pointing to as Jesus is moving through this story, gathering folks around him who have been touched by his grace... I think what Jesus is pointing to is that our ultimate worth, value, and dignity, our, our standing before God will never depend on any of that stuff. On whether your neighbors think you're powerful enough to be feared or kind enough to be respected and loved, or whether you're someone who is so easily overlooked or can't do anything to really make a difference. That's not what matters. You, friends, are worth God's attention, worth God's care, worth God's healing, 
and dignity because God said so. Because God is on a journey to heal the whole world, and that includes you. All of you. When I was in seminary, I worshipped usually weekly at the Episcopal Church in our neighborhood. If you've ever worshipped in an Episcopal church, typically the liturgy, uh, when they're getting ready to celebrate communion, has this little back-and-forth litany where the deacon quotes scripture. Now, I was in seminary. I, I read the Bible for a living, but it never dawned on me until this week in reading this story again and really paying attention where that litany came from. And that is, as they gather at the table, the deacon raises up the gifts and says, I am not worthy to receive you, but say the word, and I shall be healed. I am not worthy to receive you, but just say the word, and I shall be healed. In the waters of baptism, friends, you have been made worthy to be healed. And we gather at this table still not worthy by any of our own standards, but infinitely valuable to the one who loves us. And so we gather not worthy. But Jesus says the word, the word beloved, and indeed you will be healed. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.